Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. As I said, uh, my name's Danny. I'm one of the pastors here at Kesset. And I'm going to be launching this series right now called Come and See What God Has Done here in our church for the next, at least the remainder of this month. This entire series is built around this idea of gratefulness, this idea of of sitting before God, uh, really honestly uh, thankful for what he's done in our life. And the truth is, as I say this to you, um, most of the faces I have in the room are the same faces I had last service and are the faces that I was looking at when I shared with people I was going to do this service because, frankly, thankfulness is boring. It's, it's not exciting. There's nothing sexy about it. And we all know what the word means. What am I possibly going to learn about thankfulness? And so I want to share with you um, a meeting I had a few years ago that this series is being built out of when I experienced a man in front of me who was having a grateful crisis. I don't know if you've ever heard this or heard of this, but, but to really understand what the series is about, you have to put yourself in a room with, with this young man and I as he shares with me his grateful crisis. So this is how it goes. I get a, an email. It's a normal email, an everyday kind of pastoral email that says, I really need to talk with someone. I'm struggling. I said, no problem. Where do you want to meet? He said, can we meet after work at this coffee shop at this time? I said, no problem. I go in and I'm ready. And by ready, I mean... I'm available, I'm willing to listen, I want to use whatever the Holy Spirit gives me, and I want to be present with how God wants to use my story to impact this person's story. That's what ready means for me, that's how I pastor. I'm a story pastor. I tell stories, I listen to stories, I use what God's doing in my life, and oftentimes, as you're about to see, I learn more from their story than I could ever bring from mine. I sit with this young man, he's about 24 years old, and uh, I I asked him if I could uh, share this, we'll call him Sean because that's actually his name. And so I'm sitting with Sean. <laughs> I'm sitting with Sean. He's 24 years old, and he goes, I got to talk to you, Danny. And I said, okay. And I've been with Sean for a long time. I did his wedding. I, 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 uh, I know his family. And so I, I had a pretty good background, and, and I, I felt pretty prepared for, for whatever Sean was dealing with. He goes, listen, I need to, I need to start at the beginning. And I said, okay. <laughs> this is getting real now. And he goes, I graduated college, and I got the degree I wanted. I go, I know that. He goes, okay. Then I met the girl. I knew the girl. And you know how I met her. I know how you met her. You met her online gaming, right? And he goes, that's right. And he was like so proud of that. He's like, that's right. That's right. Because I'm not just a gamer. I'm a gamer, right? That's two different kind of games there that Sean had, right? Online game and that game. And he's good at it. Met this girl. He says, so we got the apartment after I graduated. I go, yeah. And he goes, and... uh then we moved in to the apartment. And I go, yeah. And I'm just getting more and more confused the more and more he shares. And he goes, and then, Danny, we took all of our combined gaming systems and we built a gaming wall. <laughs> and I said, what is a gaming wall? And he goes, well, different gaming systems from different eras require different TVs. Like, did you know you can't play Duck Hunt on anything but a tube television? So in our gaming wall, we built a tube television for just Duck Hunt. We have all the other systems. I don't know how many systems they have with all this whole gaming wall. I mean, Danny, it's epic. You've never seen anything like it. I go, okay. He goes, I graduated college. I've got the apartment. I married the girl. We've got a gaming wall. <laughs> and then about a year ago, I got this great job, and I work with bread. I go, 
yeah, I heard about the job. It's great, great pay. It's good stuff. And he goes, yeah, but Danny, I can eat all the bread that I want. I said, yeah? And he goes, yeah, I, I drive around and I, I work with bread. I can eat all the bread that I want. Danny, do you understand that I, I, I graduated college. I, I, I found the girl. We got married. We got an apartment. I built a gaming wall. I got a job where I get to eat all the bread that I want. And then just last week, they called me and said, Danny, I'm getting Kaiser. How amazing is that? <laughs> and he's just angsty. And I said, Sean, I, I don't understand. He goes, Danny, these are all things that I've been driving towards. These are all things that I wanted. Every single thing I listed was something I wanted to accomplish. And I'm only 24. And he says these words. And I've accomplished all the things in my life that I want. <laughs> Quote, what more is there? <laughs> and now I'll put these words in his mouth. I'm having a gratefulness crisis. I have it all. And so I sat there, I sat there, honest to goodness, I was completely unprepared. I'm used to dealing with people who are selfish or who are, who are coveting other people's stuff. I'm used to dealing with a different kind of crisis than one of great blessing and abundance. And I sat there, and so I remember as I'm trying to coach him, I, I, I used, I think, some good stuff. I said, this is such an amazing place to be because now you get to have faith that God will show you what else he has for you. And you get to live in freedom, and you, get to you now have choices. It's one of the beautiful things about, about being uh, um, grateful is that you suddenly are, are so overwhelmed with all that you have that you don't try to force other situations. How wonderful is this? And I'm helping him, and I can see that I'm helping him, but while I'm helping him, my flesh is saying to me inside, same time, I'm so jealous of your life. <laughs> like, I want all the bread I can eat. I want a gaming wall. I want an apartment. I want Kaiser, right? And I remember, it's not these specific things I'm jealous of. It's his approach and his view. I'm so jealous. You're so content. I want to have that crisis. My prayer for you is that you all have a gratefulness crisis at some point in this series. At some point in the series, you're looking around at the babies and the, and the relationships and the friends and the community and the, the fact that you woke up this morning, that your heart's beating, that you're breathing the breath you're breathing right now. That you become so overwhelmed with this God that loves you enough to provide for you all of those things that you, honest to goodness, look to heaven and say, what else is there? How amazing is this? To steal Dave's word, how awesome are you, God? That's what the series is about. And I think if you approach it the right way, it could change your entire life. Zig Ziglar said this about gratitude. He said, gratitude is the healthiest of all human emotions. The more you express gratitude for what you have, the more likely you will have even more to express gratitude for. I'll just leave it up there. Let it soak in. Even more to express gratitude for. This series has one primary verse. I don't do that a lot, but because this topic is so well known and because I think for many of us it's a cookie-cutter kind of thought, this idea of gratitude and thanksgiving, I really wanted to continue to bring it fresh every single week 
to us and to our stories. And the, the, uh, the primary verse of the series is Psalm 66.5. It ties in perfectly with what Dave shared earlier in the, uh, during the worship. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in the deeds and what he does toward the children of man, toward us, toward me. Come and see what God has done. Look what he's done for me. He is so awesome. There's one primary story in the Bible that that really signifies this, I think, almost better than any other, this idea of, of what it means to be grateful before God, what it, what it means to, to have a gratefulness crisis. And uh, it starts in Luke chapter 17, if you want to turn there. I'll get there in just a moment. First, let me give you a little backstory about what's going on inside of Luke. In this particular portion of the book, Jesus is doing a lot of healings. He's become well-known as an incredible teacher, and he's traveling the hillside sharing uh, the truth of his word, the truth of who he is and what he's come to accomplish. And he's doing this to all people. And as people hear of Jesus, they gather in different centers of town to meet with him. And it would be everyone and anyone who wants to come of any class could gather in these areas. Jesus didn't teach inside the, the inner sanctum of temples where only the rabbis could go. He taught out in these communal areas, these community areas of togetherness where everybody could hear the words and teachings of Jesus. That is everybody except those who the priests deemed unworthy. Now, these could be people of great sin, but usually they were people of great sickness. One particular group of people that were never allowed to hear the words of Jesus up until what we are about to hear right now were the lepers and the community of lepers that lived right there around the area where Jesus was teaching. In the ancient world, leprosy was a terrible, terrible disease as it is now. It would hopelessly defigure those who had it, but more, more or as uh, difficult, it would cut them off from society altogether. I want to read this. In the Israelite community, when a person discovered a rash or skin disorder, he or she had to go to the priest for examination. The priest then determined whether this was a contagious disease and whether the person was to be declared ceremonially unclean, meaning whether they would be accepted into the community or not. Jewish law prohibited anyone with such a disease from associating with the general community. They had to be isolated and many times lived as outcasts until they died. And so what they would do is find each other. The priest would deem them unclean. They would say goodbye to everyone that they, that they loved from that day forward. And they would find other people deemed unclean like them. And they would form these communities. Within those communities, there was not one single person, not one person without exception, that yearned for anything more than to find healing. Now, I want to put you in the side and alongside this story. And so the easiest way I can do that is to have you be a little bit selfish, honestly selfish, not romantically selfish or, or, or theoretically selfish, but really truly selfish. If right now we were to sit over coffee, in about five minutes I could figure out, and you could with me, what it is in my life that brings me the most angst. What it is in my life that brings me personally the most frustration. And I say to be selfish because a lot of times uh, 
it isn't things that we realize. It's the great job we have that just demands a lot out of us. It could even be our families. It could be um, a sickness. It could be uh, uh, wrestling with a financial issue. It could be uh, all kinds of different things. I don't know because I don't know your story. I just know you brought your story in here. And I know you, like me, have something in your life that you think and that I think, if just this one thing in my life would leave, my life would be almost perfect. Just this one thing. My wayward child, my, my dysfunctional spouse, my, my, my this, my that. I don't know and I don't have to know because you know right away. You're just, too self, you're just too selfless, at least on the surface, to admit it. But if we really dug in, I'd wipe away all the romantic stuff like, well, I work too many hours and I just, you know, I just, I help my kids too much. Now, lame, eh, I'm talking about the selfish stuff that you're like, oh, if that would just go away, I would be so much better. That thing... As, as selfish or as real, because it could be something very serious, very, I don't want to just, I don't want to put it, uh, I don't want to generalize it. I want to let it be fluid, right? That thing, whatever that thing is in your life, I want you to imagine that thing now is leprosy. Leprosy, emotional leprosy, difficulty, struggle, thing in your life that if this would just get fixed, things would be so much different. This is what you're yearning for, okay? To find healing from that thing. Okay, carry that. Carry that. Let it soak in. Carry that. This is how the story starts. It says, Jesus is ministering, and one day, 10 lepers, okay, through a coordinated effort, approached Jesus outside a village, and they were loudly yelling. This was not just them walking out, let's go get some fish, Frank. This was like people who said, we can't go to the community, we can't find him at night because his disciples hide him, but we can stand along the road and wait till we see him. And they're going to push us off if we get too close, so let's stand within yelling distance. All right? All right? Ten of us all together, let's do this. Jesus could heal us. We believe it. And so that's what we're walking into, Luke 17, 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village... He was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance, and they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Over and over and over. I think they just chanted it. They were rallying. They were showing their earnest desire to have this one thing in their life removed to find the healing. And they screamed his name. They focused upon him. They exposed themselves and their sickness. They did all the things we're supposed to do when we come to God. Okay, everybody meets God in a hopeless place. If you've met God in a hopeful place, you probably didn't meet God. He's not, he's not showing up where you think you're in charge. Usually you, you meet God when you're like, I can't do this anymore. And he's like, oh, did you call me? Like, that's, that's what God does. So they're doing all the things you do for salvation and healing, all those things. And Jesus stops and he looks at them, and when he sees them, he says this simple phrase, go and show yourselves to the priest, and as they went, they were cleansed. See, you can't, this is why when you read scripture, you got to slow your roll. You got to like sit in this and go, okay, hold on. They show up to Jesus. He sees them. The crowd sees them. You know for a fact it was instantly like, you know, it was all of a sudden like a, like a dodgeball court. I mean, they went there and the people went, oh, lepers, <laughs> right? And Jesus is standing in the middle like, it's okay. They're yelling, please don't kick us out, don't kick us out. And so he says to them, no, no, go to the priest. Go to the one who judged you unclean. 
Go to the one who cast you out and show yourselves. So they look at each other. There's no way they didn't do this. Like, what does that mean? And they were like, he's Jesus. We, we're gonna, we said we'd do whatever he said. We said we'd do whatever he said. We heard about that guy. He had him bathe. I thought we were going to bathe, but I guess we're not. We're going to go to the priest. The same priest, the one who saw my rash 15 years ago and kicked me out? Yeah, that's what we're going to do. Jesus waits. The crowd waits. Everybody's wondering what's going to happen, right? Suddenly, they start taking steps back, and they disappear, and they start walking. And they're like, man, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if this is going to work. And they're like, Jesus said to go to the priest. Go to the priest. That priest doesn't even like me. He didn't like my dad. I just, he doesn't like anybody in our family. And all of a sudden, somebody looks over at Frank, and they're like, Frank, Frank, what? Frank, your nose has grown back, bro. What? Oh, I got a nose. Somebody else's ear comes back. A finger comes back. Right? Suddenly, their walk turns into a sprint because with every step they took to the priest, apparently they were being healed. The power of God was flooding through them, and they're running back to the priest to condemn them because Jesus said, I'll be with you. Go to the priest. What would that feel like? What would that be like? All right, quick question. How many of you came to Christ that way? I'm exposed. I'm broken. I need you, Jesus. My marriage is falling apart. My life's falling apart. Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. Repent, not from your sins. Repentance is a broken theology, right? Because here's what we do. We teach it like it's repenting from the addiction or from the stuff. No, repentance is simply turning to God which is naturally turning you from everything else, including things in your life you think are good. Amen. Repentance is turning to God. This is so for Danny, by the way. Do you know people can be addicted to church? People can be addicted to holiness. People can be addicted to reputation, to, to all kinds of busted up stuff. But when I repent of all things in this world that can keep me minimalized, and instead I focus on God with every step that I get closer to him, I suddenly have an emotional nose. Right? Suddenly I've got spiritual ears. Suddenly I've got, Bible says, eyes to see. Suddenly I'm becoming whole, more and more whole, because I'm not, it's not that Danny stopped hanging out with friends over here or stopped doing this. It has nothing to do with what I'm stopping. It has everything to do with what I'm starting. And as I repent to Jesus, right, as I repent to Jesus, suddenly the wholeness comes back into my life. And this is so beautiful and so amazing. But do you notice Jesus didn't tell them, uh, go to the priest and once you're there, you'll find healing. He just said, go to the priest. And it doesn't say how far they went before the first healing came. Was it a half mile? Was it one step? I don't think so. I think it took faith. For them to take that road to the priest. How many of you, you came to God fully expecting healing in your life? God said, turn to me. Turn from your ways by turning to me. You took three steps and said, yeah, I told you. It's just not, it's not working. I went to church for like two months and nothing changed. I took that marriage class. My wife's still her. I took that financial class. I'm still spending money like crazy. Everything I do, nothing changes. How many of you didn't take enough steps towards God, towards his calling, because you wanted what you wanted, and God wants your faith. He wants you to move to him. He wants you to move to him continually in all things, the Bible says. I am with God. In all things, I give to him. We have to be people 
who are willing to take more than three steps, five steps, seven steps, we have to commit that even if we don't get our healing till we step into the priest's office three miles away, we believe that Jesus is the one who can bring it. So I want to encourage you. Turn from the stuff in your life, not by setting it down, but by turning to God and raising your hands to him and stay committed to him and watch him bring healing into your soul. Watch him restore things you thought were unrestorable, unrecognizable. Turn to him. Stay on the road. Stop doing what you're doing. Okay, and that's from, that's for, there's a few people in here, you need to hear this, so I'm just going to set down my, you need to stop, seriously. Like, it's, it's done. If you don't stop, it's going to hurt you. And it's going to hurt you more than it already has. It's going to hurt you beyond repair. It's going to wreck stuff in your life that you love. It's going to wreck people in your love, and this is your year to change it. So you need to stop. Okay, let's move back to what Jesus has. To say. <laughs> a couple things that I find interesting in this story, and I shared a few of them just now, is that all throughout Scripture, Jesus actually does this. He actually operates this way, requiring faith from people on the part of the people that's at, that are asking for healing. Many times he asked those who wanted to be healed, look at Matthew 9, Mark 9, do you believe that I can do this? Do you believe that I can do the thing you're asking, or are you just asking? If you believe, you will turn to me, and you will walk where I'm asking you to walk. In the same way, Jesus required a demonstration of faith on the part of the lepers and asking them to walk away. The same thing happened even before he had healed them. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing to experience true wholeness being brought back into your life. I know this with the emotional health stuff that I've been doing with my wife and with my own person. It's an amazing thing to sit with yourself uh, and be okay with that. Not always trying to fill your mind to distract you from thinking about who you are. Yeah. That's an amazing thing. I just got to that place uh, last year. And I've been in full-time ministry for 20 years. I just got to the place where I didn't have to fill my mind with things I was doing so I could just sit with who I am, and I'm fine. Yeah. This is that place God wants us to be. And it's hard work, and it's tough, but you can do it. Okay, now, here's where the gratitude crisis kicks in because you're all in the story now. You're all tracking, you're all there, you're all present. Luke 17, 15, this is what it says, and this is a statement about humanity, not just about these people. This is a statement about you and about me, Luke 17, 15 through 16. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And then it has this phrase, now he was a Samaritan. You have 10 people who said to God, to Jesus, if you'll just take this thing away from my life, I'll be better. If you'll just do this, God says, have faith, turn to me. They turn to him and head to the one who first condemned them, right? The, the, the original priest. On the way, as I read this, I've preached this a few different ways, and I'm going to, this is how I'm reading this. Maybe it's just where I'm at in my own story, but I would, I would uh, offer this as a, as a possible uh, narrative for what's happening right here in this story. I, I don't want to say it as if, because I found commentaries on both, so I just want to be able to be honest and say, this is what I see. When it says, uh, go back to the previous verse if you would, when it says, 
Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, the impression I get to that is that, that he never made it to the priest. That they were being healed along the way, and he saw that he was healed, and the nine of them were like, well, we got to get to the priest. And, and he was like, I'm, i got to go thank Jesus. And here's the interesting thing about this tension. Remember this. The priest is the one who determines whether or not they're in the community. Jesus is the one that healed them. But without the priest's blessing of the healing, they were still outcasts. Very important. When Jesus healed them along the way, what the nine held at the highest value was getting back into relationship, getting back into community, having their reputations restored, having their, their lives mended, and being the people they used to be before this crisis took everything from them. But the one who was a Samaritan, who was a man used to not belonging, for he was low caste in society, a man already not accepted at most of the community events. This man, something was different in his heart. And as he saw he was healed, when I see this, it says that he turns back and he comes running back, fully cleansed, tears in his eyes, and he falls on the feet of Jesus and he gives him thanks. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of how gratefulness usually works. And may I just offer to you that maybe that one thing in your life that you think would make you so much more grateful to God, would make your life so much better, isn't really even the thing you're supposed to be focused on. Maybe it's not about restoring your reputation, restoring your social standing. Maybe it's not actually even about restoring your marriage or the relationships with your kids. Maybe it's not about any of that stuff that's important stuff. Maybe instead, like this man, it's about restoring your heart to Jesus. It's about turning from what this world says is cleansed and instead turning to the one who says, I will be your cleansing. This man who didn't belong, I, I, I wrote this, perhaps the more you don't belong, the more finally belonging means to you. For all my Samaritan Christians in the room, that's those of you who didn't go, grow up in the Christian homes, those of you who are pagan most of your lives, those of you who are angry with God, those of you who feel like even at the best, God's just going to restore you, give you a little testimony you can share, but you never really can be like that guy over there or like that girl over there. I just want you to know that's all bogus, that's all garbage. And earlier when I said you need to stop it, that was for you too. The people who recognize what it feels like to be outcast make beautiful belongers. Because they recognize what outcast looks like in the eyes of those that are new. Those of us who grew up in the church, there's a little bit of a disadvantage. We have to pray that God would reveal that to us. Because we've always belonged. We've all, I mean, I grew up sleeping on pews. Like, I love pews because I remember the print they used to give on my face when you'd fall asleep during church as a four-year-old. Anybody else? Yeah, right? Pharisees, all of us, right? Like, we grew up in church. I love church for church's sake. I love it. But I got to pray that God shows me what it feels like to show up brand new because there's not a church I walk into I'm uncomfortable in. I'm like, man, this church. My wife and I went on vacation twice. Both times I'm like, it's Sunday. We should find a church. She's like, <laughs> and I said, that's spiritually unhealthy and I need to, we need to work through that in our marriage. But, but I love church for church's sake. I love it. I just love the experience. And I have to be careful to see eyes of people who feel new and are discouraged. But we got a few people in our church, you know who you are? Oh man, you're good at it. You'll find them across the room like, oh, this person's brand new. How you doing, man? It's kind of scary here, huh? Yeah, bro. Yeah. 
Yeah, I know, me too, me too. I've been here six months. You're so good at it. I walk in, I'm like, oh, hugs, you know. I mean, it's too much. It's too much. There's a beautiful, beautiful belonging that happens when people who used to not belong meet each other. And I just want to say that it's pointed out in the scripture that this man was a Samaritan. And I want to say, too, that nine out of the ten people were more focused on the thing they wanted to get rid of than the God who got rid of it. Nine out of ten people in this room right now, I'm guessing, are more focused on the thing they want to get rid of than on the God who wants to get rid of it. That means about 40 of you are really actually grateful. I'm one of those 40, though, so just include that. (laughs) And Jan, Jan and I are one of those. So 38 of you are grateful. (laughs) (laughs) here's the best part the best part is that jesus calls it out he just doesn't skip over he never skips over anything he just calls it out verse 17 then jesus answered and i think he i I like him to do it slowly because i think it would add more emphasis he's like one guy and he's like um weren't there 10 of you cleansed he says we're not 10 cleansed where are the nine was no one found to return and give praise to god except the foreigner like, it's this really great statement of, 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 of course, it's the one who didn't belong, who recognizes what it means to now belong. Jesus expressed his disappointment that the other nine had not thought to give praise to God for their healing. Even though Jesus did not withhold healing from the nine who did not thank him, he made a point in Scripture of noting their lack of gratefulness. On the screen, for all to see, ingratitude is a sin. Just as surely as is lying or stealing or immorality or any other sin condemned by the Bible. It's a sin, folks. For you to not have a gratitude crisis in your life is a sin. For you to not come to a place where you are so overwhelmed with all the stuff that God is doing that, that, you, that you just call out to him, no more, God, I just can't do any more blessings. This is so much of the Psalms, so much of the Proverbs, so much of the people we read about during great crisis that we lean into. But as soon as great blessing comes, we just just set that stuff down. Yeah, yeah, I know I'm good. Now I can get back to helping. Now I can get back to serving. Now I can get back to leading. Instead of just being grateful with God and who he is in the stillness of his presence. God desires for us to express our thankfulness to him for all he does in our lives. Psalm 147, 7 says, sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Just doesn't say sing. Some of you need to hear that lesson. I watched you during worship. You know what it is, too? It's not the, it's not the singing. It's you're worried about what people think about your singing. When really, according to the Bible, you should be more worried about what God thinks about your not singing. Like, I, I, just don't know if, I just don't know if the lady next to you really cares or really matters as much as the God who made you. And so maybe try it, singing praise to the God who gave you voice. Singing praise to the God who made you. Maybe try it. Being grateful for who he is and what he's done. Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. 
We talk about this a lot, the peace of God, the wholeness, the harmony of God, to which indeed you were called in one body. We talk about community. We talk about connection. We talk about relationship with one another. Oh, there it is, and be thankful. You don't just get to go, my church is awesome. My friends are awesome. You get to go, my God is awesome. The day that Kessid starts being Kessid by itself is the day we shut the whole place down. This place will not get credit for anything it does because it does nothing. God does everything. He is the reason. He is the nucleus. He is everything we are to be worshiping and giving our gratitude towards. I'll close the story. It's my favorite part of the story, actually, the last verse. Clearly, because they had faith, all ten were physically healed, even though only one came back. But Jesus' final words in the passage to the grateful Samaritan imply that this man received spiritual healing in addition to the cleansing of his skin. For it says, after the man, remember, already had leprosy and was falling at the feet of Jesus in gratefulness for the healing in his life, in gratefulness for the thing in his life that you all asked to be removed, Jesus says to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. But the man's already healed. That thing that you all raised up, that I raised up, that I need God to be removed, those, that serious brokenness that those 10 came to Jesus to have uh, uh, to cleansing from, once it's cleansed, one comes back in gratitude and Jesus stops the universe and says, rise up, for your faith has made you well. But I'm already good. Yeah, but now you're awesome on the inside. Now you're filled with my presence. That's what being grateful brings. Could it be that the man's return to fall at Jesus' feet gave him spiritual wholeness in addition to the physical wholeness he had received? This is what gratefulness does. It doesn't just give you eyes to see what God has blessed you with. It gives you a heart like God's so that you can be whole inside yourself. It gives you belonging. This one man, Jesus says, go to the priest. Because the one that disconnected you, right? The one that disconnected you needs to see the work I've done. Now, I'm just going to wrap this up and throw a bow on it for those of you in the room that are still tracking with me. But Jesus Christ, he's the one who died on a cross before the great priest that brought judgment and disconnection through the fall of man. And he says, through the work that I've done, I cleanse everybody that claims me. They are forever whole. They are forever cleansed. And God sees Jesus. He sees the lesions on our soul, but he sees Jesus and he says, he is worthy. You're cleansed. Welcome home. This, this is what Jesus does. This is what the story's about. It's about belonging to him. One out of the 10 belonged to Jesus. The other ones got their whole lives back. New cars, new families, new churches, new leadership, new guidance, new funds, new whatever you want. But only one of them got a new life, a new relationship with Jesus Christ. One out of 10, folks. This series is critical for what we're about to experience because blessing is coming. God is breathing life into our sails. And the last thing I want to do is take even an inch of his, of his blessing, his mercy, his grace, his abundance, and think, well, 
Look what it gives us. It, it, it makes our setup teardown easier. It makes our lives easier. Yeah, it does all that stuff. But that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the fact that God even did that with people like you. <laughs> people like me. This is where gratefulness brings healing. This is where gratefulness brings hope. And this is how it changes lives. And so... The one thing I'm going to do this week, and you can do it if you want, I'll just share what I'm doing. Every Monday, I'm going to post this verse. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome. And I'm going to leave out the in his deeds toward children of men. And in the comments, I'm going to write on Facebook, if you have it or not, just do this at home. I'm going to write what I'm thankful for that week. He is awesome. And I am thankful for my wonderful family that I get to spend time with. He is awesome. And I am so thankful that I have working hands and working feet. He is awesome. I'm so thankful I can share with you now. He is awesome. I'm so thankful for the friends in my life who forgive me. And He is awesome the breath in my lungs and the heart of my chest and the life in my body. He is awesome. Lord, in this place, there are so many people confronting so many areas. Every once in a while on a Sunday, you'll stir us up inside, God, and I just ask we would sit within it. We would rest in the uncomfortableness of it. We would ask our questions, proclaim our opinions, lift our concerns, lay down our worries. We would do all the things this world tells us we're supposed to do. But God, at the end of the day, what I think we're supposed to do more than anything is proclaim in utter gratefulness, you are awesome. And I am blessed to call you Father. I am blessed to be your creation. I am blessed to worship you with my broken voice, with my simple mind. God, may we experience a crisis in our gratefulness today. May you remind us of all you've given us, not to, to do anything more, God, than to bring attention to how much you love us how much you've forgiven, how much mercy you have and acceptance. You are a God of all those who don't belong. And so, Lord, I proclaim you. I give you glory. And I say to all that are listening, come and see how awesome my God is who accepts those on the fringes, who loves those that others turn away, who heals those who are hurting who brings forward those the world lays down. Come and see. For he, he is awesome.